0: Hello all, welcome to the latest installment of P. Chris and Enos' podcast. So today, being November 15th, we are having an interview with Dr. Salviazzo and Dr. Christina Patterson of the University of Nevada at Las Vegas' Student Wellness Center, and we'll be talking today about the transgender care team that they implemented and supported. So before we go into details about that, um, why don't you both uh, give some background about who you are, um, both personally and professionally, if applicable, Um, and Sal, since I believe you're the senior in this, um, you can go ahead and get started.
1: (laughs) Well, I am, so I can't deny that. Uh, Hello, everyone. Sal Biazzo. Uh, I am a physician by training. Uh, I earned my DO degree at uh, the University of Medicine and Dentistry of New Jersey in 93 and finished my residency program in family medicine there in 1996. Uh, I've been in practice since then. Uh, I spent my first five years in a rural area in Illinois and Wisconsin and then moved to Vegas in 2001. Uh, I've been working with UNLV uh, as the uh, senior staff physician uh, since 2007.
2: Hi everybody, I am Dr. Christina Patterson. I am a licensed psychologist in the states of Nevada and New Mexico. I am a staff psychologist at University of Nevada, Las Vegas Student Counseling and Psych Services. I have been with that team since March of this year, so I'm a pretty new addition. I got my doctoral degree from Utah State University, completed my internship and postdoctoral fellowship at the University of New Mexico, moved back home to Nevada last year and really excited to be part of CAPS and move forward in my career here.
0: Okay, thank you for the um, professional introductions. So since I always tell my interviewers that I also like them to be role models in and of themselves, um, would you like to clarify a little bit more of personal interest in the subject um, in terms of your background? So Sal, if you want to start.
1: Okay, sure. Um, So, even while I was still in my training, I uh, decided I was going to teach. Uh, so I've always taken medical students uh, and uh, and I enjoy it because it keeps me on my toes. Uh, and I've been part of the LGBTQ plus community in Vegas since 2001 when I moved here. Uh, I uh, initially uh, was working with a group practice, but then after my first year with them, decided I was going to start my own practice mm-hmm. at that time. Uh, we had a really bad shortage of physicians trained in HIV medicine. So I kind of, by default, ended up doing a lot of HIV medicine, uh, and, uh, and so I uh, fell into that. I eventually became the assistant director for um, HIV medicine at um, UMC, along with uh, Dr. Jerry Cade, who is the director, and Dr. Dino Gonzalez, who uh, was the assistant director as well. Uh, and uh, been very active in the community here since that point in time. Uh, my role changed a little bit when I got to UNLV. Uh, I, uh, I stopped doing HIV medicine because I couldn't um, have any more coverage the way I had before and I had my private practice. So uh, instead of doing it as a uh, regular adult HIV medicine, uh, I started becoming more uh, in tune with uh, LGBT healthcare in general um, at UNLV uh, and Uh, So, here we are.
0: Thank you, Sal. Christina?
2: Absolutely. So, I'm a native to Las Vegas. So, this is my home. I I left for some schooling for some years and and came back. And this is my community. I actually became a psychologist because of Nevada behavioral healthcare. I wanted to change it. Um, I wanted to change it for folks with significant mental health problems, but also people just not having access to care. And that was not for just everybody, but also for myself. So um, I am also part of this community. I identify as queer and genderqueer, and my pronouns are they, them, theirs, and sometimes she, her, and hers or other pronouns, but I usually request a default of they, them, and theirs. And I... When I left Las Vegas, I had a a variety of different experiences. I did some research in sexual identity development. On internship, I worked in HIV and gender wellness at a clinic in New Mexico. And I knew I wanted to continue that process. It was not only my community that I absolutely care a lot about, but as Sal was saying, a community that's really underserved and underrepresented. And usually providers who end up in this care are either part of the community and we end up in it because there's just nobody else. Um, But we also end up in it because we purposefully seek out providing care to people who have historically been marginalized and also continue to be marginalized even when we would like to think we're a little bit more beyond to that, and so I, I've continued my training, um, working on my WPATH certification, which is the World Professional Association of Transgender Healthcare. So I am involved in that process. I continue to work at UNLV on the Trans Care Team, which we'll talk about today, and I, I lead the LGBTQ plus support group there as well. And so I wanted to be involved um, in LGBTQ healthcare because I am part of that community, but also because my passion for just providing access to care to people who usually don't get care kind of coincided really nicely. And so it's kind of a win-win situation for me.
0: Okay. Well, fantastic. So um, for those of you who are listening, um, the point of this interview, just to give you a little bit of a basis, uh, when I realized this would be a great topic for us to discuss, um, and especially with the people who are on this call, um, is that we want to be able to explain this program for those of you who may be in a position to implement if not all parts of this program where you work or the organizations you're affiliated with. And if that's not your hat, um, maybe you are a student of UNLV who was not aware of such services and it might be of interest to you and you want to learn a little bit more about it without, you know, um, you know, feeling exposed uh, or not sure, you know, where to start to ask these kind of questions. And then, you know, the third audience is, you know, just anybody who's interested in this topic and is just happy that there are people out there who care enough to provide such services. So with that being said, um, Sal, I believe this team was your brainchild. Um, so if you kind of want to explain how it came about and, and how you launched it, that would be fantastic.
1: Sure. it's It's been an evolution in progress, actually. Uh, so. As I said, I started with UNLV in two thousand, and I was the first full-time employed physician um, that UNLV had hired. They hadn't had full-time physician uh, employee there. They had had some folks from uh, which at that time was the UNR School of Medicine that would come in. So I was the first physician that was hired full-time to be at the health center. Um, And at the time, uh, some of my uh, patients. Uh, that I had in my private practice were also UNLV students, so when they found out that I was now at UNLV, uh, they were thrilled because they could continue their care. Uh, and some of them were patients with HIV, so um, so I had to change things around a little bit just because of covering HIV infection, but I could still manage medications and do things of that nature. Um, but Uh, One of the first things that we did at UNLV was we started to expand our healthcare services to the LGBTQ plus community um, and uh, started offering uh, not only STI treatments and things of that nature, but also um, uh, anal paps. um, uh, When PrEP first um, appeared on the scene, we were one of the first clinics in town, actually, that were uh, prescribing PrEP. Uh, and so we've kind of always been a little, you know, a little bit ahead of the game with with LGBT um, healthcare in Vegas. Uh, but one of the things I noticed was that um, it used to be that endocrinologists were, were um, mostly involved with hormone management. Um, and the problem is there aren't many endocrinologists in town and there are even fewer that feel comfortable doing hormone management. Um, and so what happened was we were getting uh, students who were coming in who were trans and on hormones and found that they had no access to decent healthcare in town Um, and they'd been you know from other parts of the country uh, and so they came to the health center and at the time um, we were not really well versed at hormone at starting hormone management um, and and we were just continuing medication at that time. Um, and so we saw a need for that. Uh, I went to the powers that be at UNLV, and they were very receptive about uh, starting, uh, this is way before there was even a trans care team, but at least letting us start hormone management for trans patients and clients. Um, and so that's how this all started, was it was just at first for hormone management and starting hormones on students at UNLV that that are identify as trans and wanted to be on hormone therapy, gender affirming hormone therapy. And so as I started to kind of delve a little bit, you know, uh, what happened was by word of mouth, I started having more and more trans patients coming. And at that time, I realized, okay, it's not just hormone management that we really need to do. There's the whole spectrum of healthcare um that we need to do and this is a very as christina said this is a very marginalized community who is very reluctant usually to seek out medical attention because of the horror stories that they've had throughout history right not just in vegas but you know throughout history um and so so it's a very reluctant population to seek out health care um and and many times because they haven't been treated respectfully so i think once um once a trans patient realizes that they're going to be in a, a, a healthcare setting that is receptive to their needs, word um, spreads. And so what happened was we were getting more and more patients and I realized, okay, it's not just hormones. This is much more involved than that. This is the whole you know, biopsychosocial um, model that we really need to provide here and, and, and we're way behind. Um, meanwhile, UNLV is the most diverse pop, you know, uh, university in the nation. So it stands to reason we really need to step up to that and provide services to a sector of our patient population that really has been invisible. Um, and so that's how this started. Uh, and at the time I got the green light for that, uh, and we started assembling a team. Um, and at that time it was Dr. Prachi Sharma that was, uh, that was, uh, the the cap's counterpart of the team, uh, so it was Prachi and myself kind of built this from the ground up, and and I'm gonna just step back for a second and be completely honest with you all that when I was going through my medical training, we received zero training in trans health, so and and, and barely LGBTQ health, so so it was it was a learning curve for all of us because you know when I trained back in '89 is when I started medical school. This is not something and to, to, to this day there are very few medical schools that actually provide training in this area and so many physicians go out there completely unprepared and and so what happens then is of course um, you tend to not provide good health care to a trans or an LGBTQ client, and that translates to... Okay, I'm not treated well, and and it gives you know it gives a bad name to the community, um, you know to the to the medical community, and so so we set out to change that, um, and so since we all teach students, we started to also get the students involved um, and and open their minds to um, trans clients and patients, and um, and really just culturally competent physicians you know training culturally competent physicians um, and it 's really come a long way and like i said it 's an evolution in progress this is still we 're still learning um, I, you know I, I had most of my training that I received um, came from either Fenway or from UCSF um, which were great role, role models for me um, and so and, and you just build from there i, I didn 't want to recreate the wheel with starting the trans care team because there are some very good programs out there already so i kind of took the best of all worlds as i went through this and kind of pieced it together to make it unique to unlv um and so you know uh, after after prachi left uh then uh, mike browning came on board and now christina is with us uh we also have romeo jackson as part of the team and Kristen, you're also part of the team as well so i mean so we, we try to encompass different Parts of the healthcare system, so that we can kind of integrate it and make it all encompassing. Um, so, Kristen, in, you, in regards to your side of this, um, you help us to make sure that we have an inclusive EMR program that that doesn't you know uh, that doesn't turn a blind eye to trans clients. We 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 now have pronouns that come up, and we can you know we can look at before we go into a room to know what the proper pronoun is that the patient prefers. Um, and we also uh, can uh, look at uh, the person's preferred name uh, and not just go by legal names because we all know that gets you into, into trouble. And so, um, so, and with Romeo, Romeo is, uh, well, he's now, uh, Romeo, they're now the director, I believe, of, uh, of uh, the Social Justice Center. Um, and so, uh, we really appreciate Romeo's input on the team as well for social justice issues. Um, and, and so we're, we're kind of an evolution in progress, Christina, jump in.
2: (laughs) No, I'm, I'm happy, uh, to jump in. I was looking for, uh, Romeo's title because they did just, um, receive a new position, which is really exciting. Um, I will say that I'm new to the team, so a lot of this has been building and I'm, Happy to join what other folks have been doing on the team and lend any kind of experience and knowledge that I can to continue to help build it. But I want to give credit where credit is due that a lot of this, I, I came in at a really nice time. A lot of things were already moving with a really wonderful team that is really passionate and interested and excited about the work that is being done and really motivated to make some really fantastic changes for our students at UNLV to make sure that we can have a really wonderfully open and diverse experience for them that doesn't feel marginalized, as you were talking about earlier, where a lot of our folks have had really negative horror stories with medical. And mental health experiences previously, and so we work really hard on trying to figure out how to make this a different experience overall for, for them and and also for us. Because I can say as a, a person in the community, it's nice to be on a team that tries really hard to create something and allows me as a professional to um, exist in really complex ways as well, without needing to kind of dim that identity pieces down and continue growth for for myself and for our team.
0: So to take a couple steps back. Um, so Sal, you said you created the team with um, Prachi and at what point or what made you kind of realize you needed to have a counselor involved in this support? I mean, you come from a medical background so where did the counselor aspect come into play? And a- Christina, absolutely. if you want to add more to it once he answers, that's great.
1: Well, I, I, I will say um, that UNLV was, has been a step ahead of the game in um, regard in regard to, um, in, in regard to uh, a seamless transition between the medicine part and the cap side of this um, with the BHT. So that was already in existence. So this kind of just fell into place as well because um, it, it's really important, and not just for you know um, somebody with gender dysphoria, but um, many times, in order to have top surgery or bottom surgery, some places require a letter from a psychologist or a mental health, you know, mental health person. Uh, And so it just stands to reason that uh, mental health should be an integral part of the team. Uh, And so, so that's where, that's where the CAPS component came into this was, you know, it's, it's, you know, we're, we're basically joined at the hip. I mean, we, we really, we really have to work together because, uh, you know, the medical stuff is great, but if you don't put in the, the mental health stuff too, you're not really treating the whole patient.
2: I'll add to that. And I want to echo self sentiment in terms of UNLV being ahead of the curve. I'm a little biased because I also got my undergraduate degree at UNLV. And so as a student, I actually was really pleased at my experience with student wellness and um, and was actually really happy to join the team. There was kind of this complete circle piece that really happened for me there. Um, and I, I agree with the mental health piece. Psychology plays a really interesting role because we have historically been seen as gatekeepers for transgender healthcare, particularly as I was saying regarding surgeries or hormones. Typically, in the past in order to have surgeries, in order to have hormones for some providers, in order to kind of move forward with any kind of affirming care, psychologists kind of had to sign off on that. Mental health providers had to sign off on that. And there was this idea that people had to prove their transness. They had to prove their identities to mental health professionals in order for folks to sign off on their care. And so there's a piece where we're moving now into an affirming mindset that this is less of a gatekeeper and more of like, how do I get you the care that you need? So for instance, sometimes, yes, we have to do the really pragmatic logistics of letter writing for surgeries for providers to be able to do surgeries or move forward with surgeries. Um, And there's these other pieces where at the same time too, we provide a little bit more nuanced um, support in terms of mental health, right? So people can be trans and gender diverse and LGBTQ plus broadly, and also have anxiety and depression and other mental health things that they would really like to kind of figure out on this journey of identity, not just because their identity is exploring or affirming, but also because like to become a healthy human, they want all of those other pieces taken care of as well. We also provide other aspects of being able to talk about How do we have difficult conversations with people? How do we provide care with Interconnected care with other providers. Psychologists are trained to be able to have conversations that are challenging and tricky. They're trained to ask really personal information in ways that hopefully doesn't feel targeting and upsetting. They're trained to be able to connect with other providers and have behind the scenes conversations that can help facilitate and move things forward. We're also trained to be able to talk to our colleagues in ways that maybe other professions aren't. So if somebody does say something that is potentially hurtful or upsetting in some way, we can have those conversations. And so I think psychology offers a unique take on the team of not just the client or student themselves and how do we provide care, but how do we as a team grow? How do we navigate team dynamics? For instance, if something comes up and we disagree on a particular um, concern or those pieces. As far as I've been on the team, we haven't had those behind the scenes concerns, but it doesn't mean they won't come up because we're also complex humans and we'll disagree and have different training, quite frankly. Um, And similar to what Sal said earlier, I also didn't have LGBTQ plus training. It was kind of like, hey, the population exists. And I'm like, I know I'm part of it, but that was about it. Um, And so I had to specifically seek that out. Um, But with that training, we can kind of offer the clinical side, I can offer a research side, I can offer a training and teaching side, because we are trained in all of those aspects of our career. Well,
0: mm-hmm. oh, fantastic. Now, in terms of having a student like become supported by this team what what is the process and I assume it's different you know depending on how Sal when you get an initial student who may be identifying as trans versus you Christina so maybe we could take your different paths and kind of explore that so Sal why don't you start
1: well the the beauty of the model is that the referral can happen from anywhere it could be a Mm -hmm. self-referral from a, a patient that or a client that knows that we exist and says hey you know what I'm trans, I, I really would like to be part of the, you know, the, part of the TCT um, and I, I'd like to get my health care here, of whether it's, you know gender-affirming hormone management, whether there's gender dysphoria or whether it's just general mental health care for anxiety, depression, or just general health care and you know, in, in, from a medical standpoint. So the, the beauty of this model is um, there are no roadblocks to getting the care that you de- need and deserve. Right. So so try to keep it as open and as simple to get involved as possible.
0: So I mean, so from your side, is it that when you talk to a patient and, you know, is it like out of conversation that maybe they are questioning themselves or they were already, you know, I mean. The
1: the best referrals are always word of mouth because it's it's friends talking to friends uh, or talking to a member in the community who might know. Um, and, and so the, uh, the, the patient will come to me, um, they'll identify as trans. Um, and, and then part of the discussion then, of course, is, hey, you know, I don't know if you're aware, but we also have a trans care team and in, and we're, you know, we're a multidisciplinary team and we can do as little or as much as you need us to do. We're, we're, we're here. Um, and, and so, but it's always, you know, it's always the patient or client's choice as to whether they want to be part of that or not um Mm -hmm. sometimes it depends on how out they are they may Mm -hmm. may not be out and don't really want other people to to know Um, so so i always leave it open ended i just i just state that it's here this is what we're about this is what we can do if you need it um and and you know and if you don't that's great i just want you to know that there's a resource
0: And Christina, do you have like similar kind of self-identifying clients that come to you when you kind of like think, oh, hey, I think I, you know, you'd be good for this program?
2: Yeah, we CAPS functions a little bit differently in terms of how people come into CAPS. And so on the CAPS side, we have folks who will do a consultation. So you get a consultation first with one of our folks. And then from there, at the end of that consultation, that person, that professional, that student, whoever it is, makes recommendations to the client based on what they think might be the best next steps. So those best next steps might be group therapy, individual therapy, um, referrals outside of CAPS if we think they need a different type of program than what we currently offer. We also have consultations, which are like one, two, or three kinds of visits on a really specific topic. And so we'll provide those recommendations. And because of my area of expertise existing in LGBTQ plus healthcare, I get forward, forwarded a lot of students who are specifically looking for LGBTQ. LGBTQ plus specialty. So some folks have anxiety, depression or something else, and also happen to be LGBTQ plus and just want somebody who they don't have to explain what that means. Mm -hmm. Others are specifically looking for discussion around LGBTQ plus experiences, whether it's identity exploration, whether it's how to navigate like a coming out process or whatever it happens to be. And sometimes they will also be afforded to me. Having said that, almost not almost all of my team, um, can work with LGBTQ plus needs. And if there's something that they're not certain about, I often do consultations with my teammates so that they can ask me questions about something they might not understand. And it's not necessarily the student's responsibility to inform them of that. That's their job behind the scenes to learn information. And so they can come to me for that. So, when I have folks that come to me, there are times where it's consultation specifically. They wanted to know more about services relating to LGBTQ care, and so I let them know about the support group that I lead, and I also let them know about our trans care team. I'm also really clear that the trans care team is a voluntary piece, just like Sal was saying, where they can still get services even if they don't participate in the trans care team. They don't have to to get LGBTQ plus care, it's just an extra support system where we get to meet as a team to talk about students' needs and how we can continue to support the student and the providers giving care to those students. And so some of them, specifically wanna know about that. Others comes up organically over the course of therapy. If I'm working with them in therapy, it can be through kind of a variety. I have had folks who have had other therapists in CAPS and then did a consult with me specifically around LGBTQ care. And then from there, they kind of decide if they wanna participate. And so it's a little bit different how they get to me, but I've also, because we've had other staff like Dr. Browning and other folks, Our team is really familiar with the trans care team and really, really wants to support it. And so most of my team might just ask me the process because they know I'm most familiar with it. But other folks who've actually been here longer than me already know the process and they'll kind of um, get it started and maybe... Um, once a consent form is signed, we do not talk about any student's care with each other without a consent form. So at CAPS, we can consult with each other without a consent form. But for instance, if I wanted to consult with Sal, I wouldn't be able to give identifying information or any of those pieces. So once a consent form is signed, then I might bring it to the other team members on the trans care team to be able to say, like, how do we move forward with this person or, hey, Romeo, do, what services are available on campus for students that I'm not aware of or whatever it is. And so different steps, but ultimately, hopefully the same experience of it's open. We're here. We exist. If it's a yes, excellent. If it's a no, excellent. You're still going to get really quality care.
0: So I think something that Sal, you brought up that I kind of want to um, flesh out a little bit more. So the trans care team isn't just for people who fully want to transition. It is for people who are on the entire spectrum of either questioning or, you know, just want hormone therapy or just want a a portion of support in that of being, you know, non-binary. Is that kind of what I'm hearing uh, the team is about?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. The the, The team is here for anyone that identifies under the trans umbrella. Whether it's non-binary or trans man, trans woman, anywhere in between, um, we we are here to support and to you know to give the best quality healthcare possible um, in in a fashion that is you know that that is very inclusive, um, and and so that's what we're about. But the other thing, and, and Christina kind of touched upon it a little bit, is we're 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 just not a resource for just the students. We're also a resource for our own colleagues, the department, and the university. Um, so so because the team is multidisciplinary um we you know we, we've kind of been a little bit of a resource for our own peers um everybody at the health center or in student wellness for that matter has a different degree of expertise or or experience with the trans community right and so some people may not have had as much experience and so we kind of serve as a resource for any folks that Want to kind of immerse themselves and do more for the trans community? We're here for that, and we're here to support that. So that's kind of our other role too. And at, well, case in point, um, Christina and yourself just um, did a program for the business staff um, to kind of help get everybody uh, a little bit more, uh, more comfortable with you know with being more culturally competent, right? So we're kind of a resource for everybody. We don't we're not the experts per se, but at least you know, we've got some, we, we've immersed ourselves a little bit more. And so we're trying to share our expertise that we're gaining as we learn it and, and, and from our previous experiences and kind of bringing that to the rest of the campus.
0: Okay, fantastic. Um, now, because this is, you know, a University setting, and I know that UNLV tends to have non traditional students. But um, one of the things that is coming to my mind is um, you're the both of you are discussing this program. Um, is there a special, you know, scenario or care when you come to minors, you know, people who you know are, are not fully adult yet in the eyes of the law of Nevada, so to speak?
1: That does tend to a little bit of a monkey wrench into the system. Sometimes. Uh, because because they are a minor, there are certain things that I can and cannot do. Um, so so if they, I, if they are a minor um, and they are not sexually active, um, I do need parental consent.
0: Okay. And I assume the probably the same on your side, Christina.
2: It is. We need consent to be able to work with anybody under the age of 18. And we have quite a few who come through CAPS. We would get parent consent and we have a whole process set up while we're doing remote care currently to help folks do that. When I do work with folks who are under 18 because parents or guardians have access to records up until their 18th birthday, I do let them know that. And I also am pretty explicit in asking who knows what identities as well. So that if I'm talking to a parent, um, I don't want to use names and pronouns that might out a student before they're ready to disclose their identity, especially if it's not a safe environment. But if they are, or if they have already disclosed, I want to make sure I'm consistent in using names and pronouns that they use versus the ones that may or may not be on their record. So that is an extra step that I take care of because once they're 18, it's their records. And then it's more of a discussion of these are your records. How would you like this reflected in your records, et cetera. And so very similar though, but we absolutely see folks under the age of 18 at caps with parent or um, guardian consent.
1: And Christina, you, you really made me think of something really important that I want to just say right now about this. And, and that is regardless of whether you're a minor or not, uh, under the Affordable Care Act, if you are a college student you can still be on your parents insurance until the age of 26 correct so what happens a lot of times is patients will come to us they'll identify as trans but they're not out to their families okay and this isn't even just my trans it's any patient but especially in the lgbtq plus community if they're not out to their families i i always make it a point to address this with my patient to let them know that hey if you're under your parents insurance the things that we do, even though they're private between you and I, your parents are still going to know about it because they receive statements from the insurance company, and there are diagnoses attached to those things. And so this is a really important thing to kind of stress to our population, is that, that even though they might be, they're, they're, they're not even a, a minor, they're an adult, but they're under their parents' insurance, the parents may still know. And if they're not in a safe environment at home to be outed, then, then that's something that really is important. And I just figured we should, you know, we, we should mention that while we're talking about this.
2: Absolutely. I think that's really crucial. And I will say the one nice thing about CAPS is we do not bill insurance. We are included in tuition and fees. And so as long as you're an eligible student, you can have the consultation to kind of figure out what services that we have may be appropriate. And so there is kind of a nice balance of that to where on the medical side, there may or may not be insurance, but I think it's a really good conversation to have overall, which is, What does privacy and confidentiality actually look like? What are patient rights and responsibilities? And those are conversations that I really hope most providers are having. But sometimes because they're in consent forms, people don't bring that back to the room and really talk in depth about it. And I try really hard to do so in general with all students that come into my room, but especially kind of regarding identities as well.
0: Now, with that, I mean, so me still being kind of an outsider to the process, when I hear, you know, a program like a team, you know, when you deal with your individual clients and patients who are going to be supported by this, are they ever introduced globally to the team? Or does it mean just that you get to speak to other providers on their behalf and discuss their cases? Is that that the gist of what you try to tell the clients and patients?
1: Yeah, once they sign that consent form, um, that gives Christina and I the opportunity to be able to discuss the client and patient. Um, it unfortunately for the rest of the team um, that that is not the case unless unless something comes up with the client or patient and they give us sp- specific instructions that we can present. So, let's say a domestic uh, violence issue or something, and maybe we you know we need to talk to uh, Romeo about that because it's a social justice issue or you know. Um, then then or or you know I recently uh, there could you know there could be somebody who um, is being harassed by a professor or something. Um, so Christina and I can talk about that because we have a assigned consent if they're part of the TCT. However, um, anything further than that outside of that um, would be something we would have to discuss with the client to make sure to get their written permission that we could actually do that and intervene.
0: Okay. So it's never like the client's going to meet with both of you in a group session or anything like that. It's really just permission for, you know, them saying, yes, you can discuss my my particular medical or psychological needs with another physician if you think it's necessary.
1: Yeah. It's never, it's never happened so far um, that we had to do that, but I mean, I, we, we would be open to it if it's, mm-hmm. if it's a client that wanted to, to ha- sit down with both of us and discuss something or the rest mm-hmm. of it got something as long as they consent to that I'm fine
2: mm-hmm. okay and i think that's a really great distinction to ask kristen because What we're doing is very different than what most gender wellness clinics do because we're operating within our student wellness center versus being like an outpatient through the school of medicine or something along those lines. And so we are all under student wellness, but we still have clear distinctions of what we can and can't share. Even outside of the trans care team, we would need consents to talk with one another. Our behavioral health team kind of bridges that a little bit more so, and that's that's their function. Um, But what most gender wellness clinics look like is that they're this outpatient clinic where it's kind of this medical home for folks where they can kind of get all the services in one building and by basically consenting to services at that center, you're consenting for everybody to talk together, you're consenting for everybody to kind of exist. So when I was working in New Mexico, for instance, we were a medical home model. And if somebody was new to services for gender wellness care, they would see a mental health professional first to do a consultation to kind of figure out what services might be needed. Whether it's medical, um, and we had specialty and primary care, we had HIV specialty and endocrinology specialty. We also had psychiatry we had other aspects of wellness. We had care management and financial assistance and all of these pieces. And what we would do for folks who needed multiple services is that we would actually set them up on a day where they were there for two, two and a half hours, and we would round robin them. So they would get all their providers in at once to make sure that we were all moving together in a plan that makes sense for them. And so that's not atypical for, some, for a lot of gender wellness clinics. And what we're doing is very different where we're trying to operate in this really cool, unique setting of a counseling and student health center within any university, figuring out how we can help bridge some of those services together with explicit consent, but that at this point, we are still separate, but potentially moving forward as it evolves, that might look different where perhaps when we have more students who are engaging with our services and we're back on campus instead of remote learning and we can be near each other without risk, um, we could potentially look at something like that where we set up a Friday afternoon clinic time that is specific around that where mental health and behavioral or and physical health and care management or whatever all exist to kind of provide services so they don't have to try to navigate multiple systems all at once, which is challenging for any person.
0: Now, if I was somebody who was interested in the program, but but let's say I had a counselor out in the community. Um so really my first interaction is to go on the medical side to use Sal for, you know, um, medical support and so on and so forth. Um, would this be a case that if, you know, your discussions came up, they identified as trans and so on and so forth, but they say, you know, I have a counselor, you know, a psychiatrist I'm seeing on the outside. I'm comfortable with them and so on and so forth. Uh, would you identify that person or suggest them to still be, you know, supported by the TCC? I mean, what benefits would they have if they say yes?
1: Uh, again, I leave it up to the patient. Mm-hmm. I, I do let know what, what we can offer, and many times, most of the most of the patients, even though they have someone in the community for mental health that they're seeing, still are very supportive about um, joining the team. Only because um, I, they look at it as, "Hey, I'd rather have more care than not enough care." So you know, and, and so they're pretty much ninety plus percent receptive to that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and, and you know, one of the things I have to stress to them is we're not trying to get you to get away from your mental health counselor in the community. What we're doing is we're augmenting that, right? Mm-hmm. We're, we've, got a, we've, we've got an extra couple of people that are just going to look in on everything and make sure that things are at at, at optimal level here for your health care. And if there's anything further we can do, we'll suggest it, you know? But otherwise, things are going well, we let you be.
2: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And on CAPSI, we absolutely do not want to step on anybody's toes who are having therapy outside of CAPS. We are super excited when folks are having services that they feel really comfortable and happy with, no matter where those are at. And I agree, sometimes it's just an extra kind of layer of support, or perhaps like even if there needs to be a consultation with the outside therapist, there's the There's a person on the team, such as myself, who has knowledge of mental health that can have conversations that might look different than somebody else would be having conversations who might not be as familiar with other types of diagnoses that they might not encounter frequently or have kind of the background in terms of what therapy or treatment might look like for those kinds of needs as well. Yeah.
0: So then I guess for me, the big final question is what happens when a student graduates and they're, you know, they've been supported by this program?
1: we make the transition as easy and painless as possible and this has this is this has been another plus with the program too uh, both christina and i are involved with a, a broader um project in the state of nevada right now where we're building a consortium of providers both medical and mental health and physical therapy and everything else that are um that are very knowledgeable in um treating trans patients and so um, we're building a network within the state, so that when one of our students does graduate, and let's say they they they're moving to Elko or they're moving to Reno or they're still here in Vegas, we can give them a list of providers, um, medical, mental health that um, that they would feel comfortable going to. Um, and not feel like oh my gosh I've got to start everything again and I don't know how this person's going to treat me. Um, we we already have some knowledge that these are providers that are well versed in in the management and care of of trans patients and clients. Um, and so and as time goes on, that's going to that network is going to build. And so that's another exciting thing about uh, you know Nevada. Yeah, it's nice to have Nevada be first in something, <laughs> <The> other than. <laughs> Negative things that we've seen in the past. So, so this is uh, this is where I think Nevada can excel because even though geographically we're a pretty large state, population wise we're really not. We're and especially in the medical and mental health community, we're a very small town. Um, and so, with that said, I think we can make the transition so much easier for our clients and patients um, that graduate to go into the and feel like they're not going to have to you know build the wheel all over again.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Absolutely. Okay. Well, I think, um, my final or closing interview question is like, well, what is it about UNLV that you think makes this
2: program work? I think that's a really excellent question. And again, Bias and then alumni, <laughs> and also work there. But the, the thing that I actually always really loved about UNLV is that I think it was always aware that it needed to exist in really cool and creative ways to work for Nevada. So Nevada is kind of this odd state and I absolutely adore it, but we kind of function as like this wild West state, which I really love where it's kind of like, if you're really passionate about it, you can make it happen. There's possibilities. And at the same time, that also means we have to build our own infrastructures and kind of develop and and do that. And a lot of folks who go to UNLV are commuting, right? They don't live on campus. They don't have kind of that stereotypical movie campus experience. What happens is most of us, and I can say this when I was an undergrad, I would work, go to school, go for another shift, go back to school, and kind of just navigate the back and forth. And maybe if I had like a a bigger chunk of day, I might stay on campus and work at the library or do research or whatever it was that I was doing as an undergrad. But there needed to be flexibility and creativity to accommodate students whose trajectory and day-to-day life look different. And because Vegas is such a, a cool city and we are a 24-7 town, right, a lot of us would work graveyard and walk off shift into the classroom. And so I think what UNLV has actually really done is recognize that. It's not trying to force the students to be something that they're not wanting to be. And they're not trying to force a really specific way of college experience and university experience. And so I think the reason it, there's possibilities is because UNLV has always recognized that there's creative ways to exist for its students. And that that creativity flourishes and will build UNLV and continue to build UNLV to be a force to be reckoned with, which it is, right? We're an R1 university. We have... The most diverse campus. We have this amazing school of medicine that's new and kicking butt. And so there's all kinds of things that happen when they allow us and they have allowed us to grow um, and cultivate an environment for its diverse population in ways that fit the population. We aren't asking this population to fit us. Mm-hmm.
1: Christine, I I couldn't have said it better. I, I and and I agree. UNLV from leadership down um, is is traditional okay, uh, and, and and innovative. Uh, and and I think we have to be because of the type of university that we are. Yes, we're an R one university, and uh, but the beauty of UNLV is we're not steeped in you know two hundred years worth of tradition that's so hard to change. And unlike many other universities. Um, we're more open-minded. We, we, we see how the community is changing and evolving and the campus is changing. And so, and so we, have to, we have to be in tune with that and we have to grow in order to meet the needs of our population. I think it's doing a great job of... of, of
0: okay. Well, um, those are my questions. Do you either of you have any parting comments or closing comments you'd like to say? Or did I comment you guys out?
2: No, I'd really like to thank you for offering us the opportunity to speak on a really cool program. I'm really excited to be part of it. Um, I absolutely adore the work we're doing. And we talked mostly about the student aspect. But as Sal said, we've been working on trainings for other staff and there's just a lot of really awesome things happening um, at the university level for our students and for the folks who work there. And so thank you for giving me the time to talk about it and promote work that I think we're doing. And if anybody finds it valuable, especially our students, I'm really incredibly excited for this to be out there.
1: Exactly, I'm gonna echo that, I'm really happy to have this opportunity to to kind of talk about services and uh, and get that out there, so you never know who's listening. And, and you know if they have, if they know about us already, great. They just maybe filled in a few more gaps. But if they didn't know we were here, now they do. So I appreciate the opportunity to be here today.
0: Okay, well, thank you to both of you. Um, and then for those of you who may be discovering this podcast on the web, I will try to put in links to the UNLV Student Wellness Center, so you know you could probably look a little bit more um, into their services. And I think that's it. So thank you both. And we'll talk to everyone in the next installment. Bye.